tonight we're going to be talking about avoid distractions, stay focused. Avoid distractions, stay focused. Here's a little short focus story for you. During the 1957 World Series, Yankee catcher Yogi Berra noticed that Hank Aaron grafts the bat the wrong way. Turn it around, Berra said, so you can see the trademark. But Aaron kept his eye on the pitcher's mound. Didn't, didn't come up here to read. Came up here to hit. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense, don't it? Focus. Avoid distractions. He could have let that throw him and said, Oh man, everybody's looking at me. I'm dumb and I don't know how to hold a bat. No. I didn't come here to read. I came here to hit. Simple truth, but so much wisdom on the importance of staying focused. Sometimes the body of Christ cannot focus because their ground is contaminated. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. In verses 13 to 20. This is the parable of the sower. And it's talking about the different types of ground that are out there. Verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea. And a great multitude was gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables. And said to them in his teaching. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 13. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things, entering in choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. 
So Jesus is telling his disciples that there's different types of grounds that are out there. When you look at this parable and the explanation, you can see what different parts of the body of Christ are going through based upon how they've cultivated their own ground or not cultivated it. Some are in good shape, but others are not so good. God has raised us up as strong towers in this time period to be able to help transition those who are due to come into the kingdom. Do you understand that? He's put good ground in you. He's done a lot of work to, to strip you down and to build you back up. Sometimes strip you back down again. You know, the potter and you're the clay. And he does what he with you that the desire that he wants to do. And some of us get upset because we think that we should be out there. We should be on the world scene in the world stage. And God's not ready for you to do that. If you were to go out there and step out there, you'd destroy yourself and a bunch of other people with you. And you have to allow God to take you through the process that he wants to take you through because it's for your good. And it's for you to be able to help other people. Sometimes we get ministry mixed up. We think it's about us. And it's about us sitting in, in high places and having people esteem us. It has nothing to do with that. You become a servant. You become a servant to God first. And then as you serve God, you serve his people. And you work to meet their needs. We get it backwards. But as we're working on good ground... We understand the principle of servanthood and we understand that God wants us to be his servants and his vessels that he can use at any time. Servants are on call. When the master calls, you're supposed to get up. You can't tell him I'm sleepy. I'm tired. You can't tell him I don't want to do this right now. You have to be at his beck and call. And it's not so much that you have to, you desire to. Many people who become butlers and, and uh, there's another word for the, for the female part of it, but they, they enjoy being that type of person. They enjoy being at the beck and call. It's an honor and a privilege to serve. And we have to start establishing this within the body of Christ, where it's an honor and a privilege to serve. Not, oh, you, you owe me and you need to bring me something. It's wrong mindset. Well, that was from God because it's not in my notes. God has raised us up as strong towers in this time period to be able to help transition those who are due to come into the kingdom. We've had some tribulations, but our ground is good. And we are able to make it through these tribulations because our ground is good. And it's not anything of pride. This is just showing you how much God has done a work inside of you. Being honest, you may not like how you feel right now, but the good thing is that you made it. We're not just surviving, but we're thriving in God. And this is a trick of the enemy too, because he can say, well, you're not, he can tell you that you're not worthy. You can feel in your own flesh that you have shortcomings and weaknesses, but God is not looking at that. God sees the finished product. He sees the finished works inside of you. And he knows exactly what he's doing and how to bring you forth. And sometimes we're overly sensitive and overly hard upon ourselves. 
and we're not receiving the grace that the Father is giving to us. How dare we not receive that grace? He knows when we need to be chastised. He knows when we need to be corrected. And he knows when we need to be encouraged. You have to be son and daughter enough to receive it all. Not just pick and choose, well, I can't because I already know these things that I've done in my past. No. When God sends you encouragement, receive it. Embrace it. And, and rejoice in it. Because that shows you still how much of a son and a daughter that you are to him. Corporately, God has given us a vision to win Lord Delaware for Christ. That is our assignment. In whatever church you're from, God has given that particular church an assignment to do. As we stay focused on this assignment, we will stay on track. Now, the enemy's job is to try to get us off track. But now is the time that we have to show him that he cannot turn us aside. He cannot tempt us into saying that this is too hard, I'm too tired, I'm too sick, and just quit. He's not going to be able to do that because we've resolved it within ourselves through Christ that this is the position that we're going to hold. The temptation for these things right now is real. It's real. But we must focus on God's will being accomplished. You know, we can look at the things that are going on within this country, the strife and the turmoil and the political um, junk that's going on and say, you know, God, you're not doing anything. I just give up. Just throwing a towel. I don't see any changes. I don't see anything that you said was going to happen is happening. And I'm just fed up and I'm just going to quit. We can't do that either. Because we don't know what part we're supposed to play, how we're supposed to uh, do our role in order to facilitate the spirit to move, to bring the revival that God said he's going to bring. Our, our role is to just stand and to wait until God judges and determines the times and the seasons for us to be able to see him manifest itself in our government, through the people in our government. And until then... We, we can't get fed up with what's going on. We still need to pray. We still need to intercede. We still need to hold ourselves accountable before God and be available to him to do something. He may call, call and ask you to call one of these representatives and, or even the president and give him a word. Are you available for that to happen? Or would you have such an animosity built up inside of yourself that the love of God couldn't come through you and speak to these people. You see where our mindset's at? Not in the right place. We have to avoid distra we have to avoid the distractions that the enemy has placed before us. Being determined is not enough anymore. We must put our faith into action and trust that God has our best interest at heart. Singleness of heart and purpose will win the day. Unity in our purpose will demonstrate our faith and keep us from being pulled down by our circumstances. Unity in our purpose will demonstrate our faith and keep us from being pulled down by our circumstances. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
verses 12 to 26. This is talking about the different giftings and how everyone in the body has a different place and a different part to do. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? We, we really need to understand how deep this is. This, this simple, simple thing that God put in the word. Because every one of us have an important role to fulfill that the rest of the body of Christ can do its work. Verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again to the head, or the, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part, part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, when we follow what the Bible says, this gets rid of all types of strife, discord, uh, fighting, contentions. And, and we can work together in total and complete unity. And the work of the Lord can be accomplished. We're coming to a day where this is going to happen. We're coming to a day where we're going to see this. Because the spirit of God is going to fall. The glory of God is going to fall. And this is going to take place. And the things that have been wrong within the body of Christ are going to be straightened up. So now more than ever, we need to see that we need each other. We need to see this. We must work at staying out of offense in realizing how important we all are. There is a reason that God put us all together as one body. There is a reason that God gave you the giftings that he gave you. We should never allow the distraction of their more anointed than me come into our circle. That shouldn't even be a thought in our minds, in our hearts whatsoever. 
We should never allow the distraction of my gift isn't as important as theirs. Bring discord amongst the body. See, we have a part to play in this. We have a role that we must each be held accountable for so that we can accomplish the task and the mission that God has before us. Again, we all need each other. As we abide in prayer fellowship, God will do his part and remind us and tell us what we need to hear. He will do what is necessary to guide us down our paths. The Father wants us all to complete our assignments in his timing and not our own. But we must work at keeping the unity in the body. We must work at keeping the unity in the body. You know, we're in times and situations where people need desperate healing. Not only physically, but mentally. And if we're not in one mind and one accord when they come through these doors, or when we all send emails to each other saying, hey, pray for sister so-and-so and pray for brother so-and-so, those people aren't going to get healed. And it's not just about being here. It's about the unity of the spirit amongst the brethren. We, you know, there was a time when we were all out. We didn't have to be in uh, constant phone contact or constant email contact. It, it was just pray. You, you opened up your email. You saw what brother or sister needed prayer and you prayed. And you agreed with what, what the spirit of the Lord wanted to do. What's going to happen in the cases that we get where, and God forbid this happens now, but the government says you can't go to church anymore. What happened? Do you guys realize that when this took place in the beginning part of the pandemic, some churches have closed and never opened up because there was no unity of the spirit within that body where, where they shut down and they closed. This is sad. And I believe that this grieves the heart of God. And I believe the church has been tested in this particular situation to see, hey, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? You know, what if, what if the power grid gets shut down and you can't call, you can't email? You need to be able to sense in the spirit that I need to pray for brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. You're not going to be able to rely upon the email and, and, and text messages. Also, we've got to get that close to God that we know what's going on. And you hear um, different ones say that I think about somebody and then they call me. Or I think about someone and you know, you know I look and check on the email. This has to be the same way in the spirit with everything that we do to know, all right, something's off with this particular situation or something's off with this particular person. And God wants to give us this anointing and he wants us to walk in it in such a way that it manifests all the time. You know, if we're open to receiving this, it doesn't even just have to be people that we know. You could be walking down the street or driving and God give you a vision of somebody in your spirit, man, that he wants you to pray and intercede for. No questions asked. And then that's doing battle in the spirit and that's setting them free. You know, there are going to be times when this is going to happen to us and we're not going to have a clue what's going on. But our faithfulness and obedience to doing what the spirit of the Lord is telling us to do at that time 
is breaking down strongholds and barriers in somebody's life. And you never know what type of uh, bondage they may be in. They may be, they may be getting ready to cut, get their head cut off. And God may say, I need some people to intercede so, th so this can be intervened and stopped. If we ignore those leadings, if we ignore those um, feelings in our spirit, we're, we're, we're messing up. So we need to start becoming more sensitive to our, to our body. You know, it was, um, there was a couple people who were sick, never picked it up in my spirit, you know, during this time, this time period that we just come through. And then hearing that they were sick, it was like, wow, you know, you really, you really should have been uh, reaching out or, or doing something or, or picking up something else about them. And this is what happened. So you, you have to question yourself. You have to challenge yourself. God, I need to be deeper. I need to be closer to you than what I am right now. God is always telling us to keep our eyes upon Jesus. Keep our focus on him. If we allow disunity to come in, that's the very second that our eyes are taken off of Jesus. We lose our focus and then we go down a side road. Side roads that God never intended for us to be on are distractions that can cause us to lose time and anointing with God. Here's another story. Over a century ago, a lion tamer named Clyde Beatty learned a lesson that is so important that it impacts nearly every area of your life today. What was the lesson? Clyde Beatty was born in Bainbridge, Ohio in 1903. When he was a teenager, he left home to join the circus and landed a job as a cage cleaner. In the years that followed, Beatty quickly progressed from a lowly cage boy to a popular entertainer. Beatty became famous for his fighting act in which he would tame the fierce wild animals. At one point, Beatty's act included a segment where he brought lions, tigers, cougars, and hyenas into the circus ring all at once and tamed the entire group. But here's the most impressive feat of all. In an era where the majority of lion tamers died in the ring, Beatty lived into his 60s. In the end, it was cancer that took his life, not a lion. How did he manage to survive? Thanks to a simple idea, Clyde Beatty was one of the first lion tamers to bring a chair into the circus ring. Here's what happened. The classic image of a lion tamer is one of the entertainer holding a whip in a chair. The whip gets all of the attention, but it's mostly for show. In reality, it's the chair that does the important works. When a lion tamer holds a chair in front of the lion's face, the lion tries to focus on all four legs of the chair at the same time. With its focus divided, the lion becomes confused and is unsure about what to do next. When faced with so many options, the lion chooses to freeze and wait instead of attacking the man holding the chair. You guys getting this? How often do you find yourself in the same position as the lion? How often do you have something you want to achieve, 
lose weight, gain muscle, start a business, travel more, only to end up confused by all of the options in front of you and you never make progress. Anytime you find the world waving a chair in your face, remember this. All you need to do is to commit to one thing. You have the ability to focus. You just need to choose what to direct it towards instead of acting like the lion and dividing your attention among the four legs of the chair. We all have the ability to focus and concentrate, but only if we decide what is important to us and what we want to commit to accomplishing. The only wrong choice is no choice. Very, very important for us in this time period because we could focus on COVID, we could focus on the government, we could focus on our lack of finances, we can focus on our broke down cars, we can focus on our stupid children. Real, real life. <laughs> real life. But if we focus on Jesus, that one thing, everything else will come into order. Everything else will come into place the way that it's supposed to be. And we won't get eaten by the lion. The enemy won't kill us. He won't stop us from doing the work that God wants us to do. We must make a choice in this season to stay focused. We as children of God have to understand one very important thing about the enemy. If he can distract us and get our focus away from God... He has done his job. The interesting thing about the enemy is that he doesn't necessarily have to kill you or corrupt you. All he really has to do is distract you to stop you from completing your particular assignment. In Vietnam, when we entered into, the, into that conflict, warfare tactics changed. The enemy spent time developing weapons that wounded our soldiers. It's one thing if your battle buddy is dead and quite another thing if you or your battle buddy is wounded. It's a different type of warfare because now you have to be able to try to help get them out and into a safe area and a safe place or you need to be gotten out or gotten into a safe area or safe place and you can't do combat because you're focused on how do I get out? How do I survive? So this mentality that took place is something that the enemy is using against us. He's trying to get you offended. He's trying to get you wounded. He's trying to get you to navel gaze and look and say, man, I'm so this, I'm so that. I'm never going to be this. And you just become such a negative influence upon your own self. And you're not focusing upon Jesus Christ. You're not focusing upon what God has asked you to do. So he's already won. He's accomplished his task because you're not moving forward. You're not progressing. In Vietnam, the enemy was very effective at using this tactic against us. The enemy can wound you, and if you let him, he can take you out of the battle with that wound. We can't get into self-pity. Yes, things are bad. We're not saying that. We're not saying that they're not bad. But there's, there's a position and a mindset that we have that we acknowledge what's going on and then we also keep moving. When you start getting into a place of self-pity and, oh, woe is me, 
You're unusable. You're unusable for God. And you're unusable for the rest of the body of Christ. And see, this is something else that we have to think about too. It's not about you advancing your ministry. Your part is going to help someone else get into their ministry for them to do what they're supposed to be doing. So if you're not in position, they can't be in position either. And they can't accomplish their tasks. It's the, it's the concept, unity of the body. You know, you can't have an eye only or ears only or feet only. We all have a part to play in, in what's going on. For us, this goes back to offenses. If the enemy can come in and have us get offended with each other, and then we destroy our own unity, then the enemy has done an effective job. It would make the enemy happy if we never completed our assignments. The enemy doesn't care how many times you go around the mountain of offense. He will keep sending you around it if you let him. The enemy doesn't care how many times you go around the mountain of offense. He will keep sending you around it if you let him. Let's look at Luke chapter 17 verses 1 to 4. Jesus warns of offenses. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. I want you to, to remember this thing. Because every one of us is going to have an opportunity to, to be offended. Every one of us is going to have a time where we're going to have to make a decision. I'm either going to let this sink into my spirit and become embittered. Or I'm not going to let this sink in and I'm going to move forward. Then he said to the disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. But woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. This is, this is where the rubber meets the road. And it's hard, I know. I know it's hard. But this is where we have to, to do. This is what we have to do to keep the unity. So there are going to be times when offenses will rise, but it's our job to not let them stay. We have to not let them stay. Acts 6, 1 to 7. Seven chose to serve. Now in those, those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned a multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, 
And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. This is an important story within the Bible because it talks about how people got offended and it needed to be addressed. It didn't get swept up under the carpet. The disciples didn't say, this isn't going on. We're not going to deal with this. We're just going to pray and wait for something to change. No, they addressed it. Okay, you're offended because your people aren't being taken care of. Let's fix this. Sometimes there's things in the body of Christ that have to be worked out and talked about so that the offenses stop coming. And we have to be man and woman enough and, and brother and sister enough to listen, evaluate the situations and find out, hey, what's really going on? And then look and see, hey, the enemy's coming in through this door right here. <laughs> we can close the door so that he doesn't come in and it's fixed and it's solved and everybody's happy. Everybody was happy in this situation after they dealt with the offense. Another story. There once was a man who had nothing for his family to eat. He had an old shotgun and three shelves. So he decided that he would go out and kill something for dinner. As he went down the road, he saw a rabbit and he shot at the rabbit and missed it. Then he saw a squirrel and fired a shot at the squirrel and missed it. As he went further, he saw a wild turkey in the tree, and he only had one bullet. But a voice came to him and said, Pray first, aim high, and stay focused. However, at the same time, he saw a deer, which was a better kill. He brought the gun down and aimed at the deer. But then he saw a rattlesnake between his legs about to bite him. So he naturally brought the gun down further to shoot the rattlesnake. Still the voice said again to him, I said, pray, aim high and stay focused. So the man decided to listen to the voice. He prayed, then aimed the gun high up in the tree and shot the wild turkey. The bullet bounced off the turkey and killed the deer. The handle fell off the gun and hit the snake in the head and killed it. <laughs> and when the gun had gone off, it knocked him into a pond. When he stood to look around, he had fish in all his pockets, a dead deer, and a turkey to eat. The snake, Satan, was dead simply because the man listened to God. I thought that was a pretty neat story. <laughs> Moral of the story. Pray first before you do anything. Aim and shoot high in your goals and stay focused on God. <laughs> God covers all the bases, doesn't he? <laughs> Philippians 3:12 to 16. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us 
as many as are mature have this in mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Paul had focus. Paul knew what his task was to be, and he was constantly pressing toward the mark. We are supposed to press, to strive towards reaching that goal, that purpose that God has placed before us. The enemy didn't want Paul to complete his purpose. He didn't want Paul to finish. I believe the enemy is trying to work this same plan for each one of us. If he can keep you distracted and offended, then the enemy has you. It's an easy fight for the enemy. You do all the work for him. You wind up defeating yourself. Let's not miss what God is doing because we couldn't stay focused on our purpose. How many windows and doors have we missed in the past because we allowed ourselves to be distracted by our situations and our circumstances? Too many. I'm not saying this for condemnation, but to show us how slick the enemy is. He didn't do anything to us, but get us off course. And we missed the timing of God. God is faithful and hasn't condemned us for getting off course. But how much time have we wasted that we now don't have? Things have already been set in motion for end time events, and we don't have another 40 years to play in the wilderness. In closing, John chapter 19, verse 28 to 30. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and he filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Second Timothy 4, 6-8 This is Paul. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, <coughs> excuse me, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Finished. Jesus and Paul finished their races. God intends for each and every one of us to finish our races. That needs to be the determination in our hearts to finish. To touch all the lives that God has given us to touch. To finish the assignments that he has placed before us. As we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can walk through any circumstance, no matter how big it becomes. God is going to see us through. It's just like the songs in the song service. He's going to see us through. <coughs> we can walk away through any circumstance, no matter how big it becomes. God is going to see us through. The key right now is to stay close to God. And as you stay close to God, you will not lose focus 
upon the task that he has for you. Stay focused and let's complete our mission. Can somebody hear me? This is Montana Civil Defense. Cover leader calling Raven. Somebody please come in. Come on, Raven. Cover leader calling Raven. We're committed to excellence and truth as we conduct spiritual overwatch for your soul. We're committed to bringing the whole gospel to you. Simple truths, given with intellectual integrity, far better than Fox News and CNN combined. Please feel free to contact us with questions, comments, concerns at ChristopherRadiantFire.org. Like us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio and more. Until next time. That was your Overwatch, Einstein. You can thank him later.